Hello, horror fans. It's me, Cassandra. And today on the podcast, we are without Brittany, which sad tears in our eyes. But we are interviewing, I'm interviewing the one, the only Ruth Ann Jegg. She is an amazing horror writer and her current novella, The New Girl's Patient, is currently on Amazon for purchase and also available on Kindle. And it is an amazing book. I have read it twice. Um, I read it twice at the interview. Now I've read it three times because it's an amazing story. And she has many other published works. And she is just an amazing person, a kind and wonderful soul. And she is just, I, I just can't say enough about her. She's just an amazing person and has such a good eye for horror. So I am so excited to bring you this interview and bring you a deeper dive into who Ruth Ann Jag really is. And I am so appreciative of her doing this and the bond that we have connected with from this interview. So sit back, relax, pop that popcorn, and let's cue that music. Hello, horror fans. It's me, Cassandra, with the Horrorcraft Podcast. And today we have on a very special guest. We have on Ruth Ann Jaggy, who is an amazing, awesome human being and also a great horror writer. Um, how are you? I'm doing really well, Cassandra. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. I, um, I appreciate you coming on and doing this because um, I love getting to get into the horror side of writing like to me that's just great and something that I don't think gets talked about a lot so I really appreciate when people do come on and talk about it because I think when people think of horror writing they only think about like Stephen King because he's like the great <laughs> and they don't understand that there are so many other independent great writers um, out there and there are so many good stories so um, I really do appreciate you coming on. Plus, you're beautiful. I mean, oh, very kind. <laughs> so, so are you. Thank you. And I, I, I absolutely agree what you say. Um, I think you and I talked on it in our little conversation prior that there is a renaissance in the genre currently. And yes, we all love and adore Mr. King, and he paved the way. But there's so many incredible authors coming out of all directions currently, from all backgrounds, at all ages, all persuasions, no matter what you identify as, um, there is something for everybody to read and write and enjoy right now. And for me, that's very, very exciting. I think it's truly um, a thrilling time to be connected to literature in the genre, the dark speculative, literature aspect of horror which takes in your fantasy your true horror um dark romance there's so many nuances to the genre that's just absolutely exciting to be part of it yeah and we appreciate what you all do too yeah most definitely because i mean it it does like there's so many good stories and i think like one of the things that you said when we were talking in our little conversation off camera is after you know coming out of this pandemic people are just looking to feel things and especially with writing you get so much more um detail i mean i know we're going to talk about it when we talk about it but your novella um i like i said off camera i've read it twice and you go into such detail 
Like it's just, I like a lot of different points. I could literally just very vividly see what you were talking about. And so I feel like sometimes those are the things that we can kind of miss when we're talking about like physical media with movies and um, different as like TV shows, different aspects like that. There are really good people like say Fev Ravaraz, for instance, that are good at making a very good atmosphere and building that world. But with writing, you just get so much deeper into details. And I appreciate it. I absolutely agree. You have to paint your story with your words. It, it, it comes down to feeling the words as you're writing them. Um, and I'm kind of notorious for editing. A lot of people, um, they write expansively and they put a lot of words in to describe things. My style needs to be more or... I'm more prone to editing down to the visceral core of what's going on. When I experience horror personally, I want to use all of my senses. I want to ask myself, how is this making me feel? You know, and like you just said, if we're watching a movie or we're involved in something that's more visual or more interactive, we're getting up to go get popcorn and we're patting the dog and we're talking to somebody else in the room. When we're writing and when we're reading, we become part of what's going on if the writing pulls us in. And I really appreciate that, that actually I was able to do that because a novella is a challenging little thing to write because you don't actually have that many words or that many pages to tell a complete story. I really do like that style and I really do like that format. And it's very popular right now. And to your earlier point that people are coming out of a pandemic, there's two ways of looking at it. They wanna immerse, they wanna be challenged by the genre, they're interested in that reaction. But some people don't have the attention span to sit through a two and a half hour movie or like we just finished Midnight Mass, which was six episodes. They want down and dirty, they wanna read it in an evening and they wanna walk away feeling satisfied. So I love the fact that the shorter versions of writing and of books are currently popular with people. It opens it up for a lot more people. It's, it's writers love it, authors write it, but it is hard to write well. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I definitely could see that because, you know, your novella is 40 pages, um, right. 41 actually, sorry. Um, and that to me was very interesting as like a, because I do, you know, we do have other horror writers um, that have been on and that are coming on and they have a lot bigger stories, um, but, you know, they have time to kind of flesh out many pages and stuff like that. Right. Where 41 pages, you kind of have to get in and out quickly. And I would yeah. see that being a very daunting task. Um, it is. And it's about character development and also introducing your character and what they're what they need to overcome early on. Um, and it's it's an immersive it's an immersive thing for me um, because I'm all about the characters and I'm all about the settings. And some people have noted in some of my other short stories that I pay homage to a classic Gothic trope or where the setting is part of the story. The setting it, of itself is a character. And I think that's because I lean more towards 
folk, folk horror or homegrown horror, as I like to say. I don't world world build. In other words, I think it's wonderful if you can create these epic scenes and you can create characters that are otherworldly and you can tell all of their stories and they mesh together perfectly. I'm more of the type of writer that just sees something in between the cornrows and she wants to write about what the hell is going on, whether it's a character, whether it's a threat. Um, in my little novella, The New Girl's Patient that we're talking about currently, it's about a girl who doesn't come from much and she's given a blessing or a benefit, but she doesn't realize that it is at the time it's given to her um, by an elderly patient who happens to pass away who's under her care. So for me, it's about showing who these people are early on. And like they always say the cliche, well, people will show you who they are early on. You should pay attention to them. Um, for me, that's the fun of writing the characters. Um, and as you and I were talking earlier, I do like strong female characters. It doesn't mean that I can't write a despicable male character because there are a couple of them in the novella. It just means that when I'm, when I'm really thinking about who I want someone to be, for some reason, probably personal experience, it comes down to strong female characters that typically play a big role in my stories. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and I do kind of see that where you're saying like the more gothic folk, because to me, it kind of, um, when I was reading it and I definitely went through and reread it, um, it reminded me kind of the story building of um, one of my favorite films, which is Sleepy Hollow by Tim Burton. And he does a lot with like deep diving in there. I know like as a teen, I was super obsessed with like the big tree that was like the tree of death. Um, and I thought that that was so cool. And just like that. Yeah, it was like the big, you know, the big tree and where the horseman comes out. And I just thought that that was so cool. And like, it was such a whimsical fairy tale, but so dark and brooding yet it just entranced you. And the same kind of feeling I felt like in your book, you really do get into that. You see the world that's around it, but it is very grounded. So I, I do have an appreciation of what you're saying about that. And I think that that's great. Um, so I love it. thank you so much um, to have somebody get what you write or understand your story on a core level. It's just everything. It's just like pokes us with a fork to do even more, to write even more like, yes, this is resonating with somebody. And I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. No problem. So before we get into anything else, um, we're going to do a little segment. We don't do many segments here on the, hor uh, the Horror Craft Podcast, but we're going to do a little segment that I normally do in interviews, which is called Nine Questions with Cassandra, where we're going to talk about all things horror, because obviously awesome. we're deep horror fans here and we want to find out what other people like. So the first question, and I can't say it in a ghost-based voice. I am terrible at it. I've tried before. <laughs> but what is your favorite scary movie? My favorite horror movie, and it's interesting because it's it's becoming popular or it's be, being watched again, it was on Netflix, is a French movie by the name of Martyrs. Yes. And it is visceral, brutal, brilliant, dark, and absolutely horrifying. To me, when people ask me in an interview, 
which movie would I probably never watch again because it clicked all the boxes for me? It's Martyrs. Um, my favorite fun horror movie is Phantasm because growing up, the neighborhood boys tormented me when that movie was being shown in the theaters and everybody was, you know, the tall man and that type of thing. And it's been around for a long time. It scared the hell out of me as a kid. They'd throw things at me like, ooh, this is, this is gonna get you and the tall man's gonna get you. So I have two and they're completely opposite. One is a dark fantasy and one is probably one of the most terrific movies ever committed to film. So yes. I hope that, that kind of answers your question on both ends. Yeah. Yeah. Martyr is great. It is a perfect example of French oh. extremism. Um, oh. And it's one of the few, like I am better at dealing with gore now, but Brittany could tell you gore is not my jam back in the day. I am, I've kind of like, <laughs> I got my resistance up for it, but like, martyrs is the close closest thing i think i'll get to like extremism um hey both. But, You're both. yeah because yeah. like the they show the horror iceberg a lot and for me like i could not watch a serbian film we've talked about this before i just yeah, don't no, see no, a I point yeah yeah i just don't see a point in a serbian film and i just feel like look it's extreme i get it it's for a point but like i i kind of if there's a story being told not just explicitly for shock factor yeah and I understand that they're doing that for a point but to me I'm more about story building and I just don't see the point in any plot devices that they're bringing so um I appreciate martyrs because martyrs is brutal um it's very brutal um and it's unexpected and yes. it, it leaves a lot of the questions asked in the course of the movie unanswered and yes. to me, that's more horrific because we don't have closure. So it's one of those films that plays on your mind afterwards. So that, that, that for me is, it defines a horror movie. Yes, most definitely. So obviously you are a wonderful horror writer. Um, what is your favorite horror writer? Who is my favorite? I'm going to, I'm going to sound a little dull here probably because it's not a popular answer and rice because when I first read and I have a copy I have a first edition signed by her I actually got to meet her many years ago in New Orleans that's so cool she reintroduced the classic vampire trope in such a new and fresh way to generations of new readers she took something that everybody was familiar with from Nosferatu, Dracula, whatever, whatever name you want to call this creature of the night by. And because of the way she did it and how she was feeling when she did it, Lestat to me is the most seductive, memorable character in horror. And everything that she wrote afterwards, the Mayfair Witches, Cry to Heaven, even her erotica, dark erotica series, she defines not only range as an author, but freshness. Because everything she presented, even though we were already familiar with those tropes, with those themes, with those characters, 
she managed to put it out there and we all just immersed in it. And I'm so excited that the series AMC is yes. doing. Yeah, series. now they're doing. I'm down with the casting. I'm all for it. I don't care who plays Lestat. He's Lestat to me. And Lestat is what who jumped off the pages when I read that book, Interview with the Vampire, for the first time. So Anne Rice is my favorite. Yeah, I am so excited that they're bringing like the Anne, oh. they're calling it like the Anne Rice verse to it. Like the interview with the vampire is coming in the fall. There's already been right. footage leaked. And right. um, it's and actually- supposed to follow suit. Exactly. Yes. And I'm super excited for that because I love it as well. Like interview with the vampire and queen of the dam to me, are two really great movies and they're two different feels. Um, Queen of the Damned has a special place in my heart because I love Aaliyah and I know right. that that was her last role and right. I mean she is perfect, flawless right. in that and then exactly. Interview with a Vampire, I am not the biggest fan of Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise but I think that those are perfect characters. They, they played their roles to perfection. Yes. And everyone associated with the movie it's absolutely iconic um and it didn't take me that far out of the book in that series even though interview with the vampire introduced us the vampire lestat the second book is actually my all-time favorite yeah because the idea of a vampire as a rock star with his millions of adoring fans. We've lived this. We yeah. know that she was so forward. I think we lost you there for a minute. La, 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 la. Okay, so we lost you there for a minute. I know you're uh, you're in the middle of your ranch on Texas, so that's to be expected. It happens. It happens all the time, whether you're next door or you're a million miles away. But as we were saying in her second book, The Vampire Lestat, where she introduces us to the character as a rock star in the position of power with adoring fans how perfect to connect back to the very idea of a seductive vampire we yeah. all know we all know how heady rock stars can be we yeah. all know how intoxicating that power must be um everything about what she did with that character in her stories is genius to me and she will forever be my role model for that yeah she's she's great and i mean um, rest in power because she was a wonder exactly. and I'm so glad that they are bringing her in for a new generation and AMC I think is a great place to do that at I mean they've done mm -hmm. such a good job with like I know Sundance and them are kind of they're all in like a fold with AMC plus but like they did a great job with Discovery of Witches they did a great job with Nosferatu right. um, so and the, obviously The Walking Dead they've even done the that. Walking Dead which it's kind of lost me a little bit. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm completely gone with it. I'm going to fly that plane into the mountain and that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch it until the absolute end because I was there from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I get it because I'm the same. Like, it went off the rails for a while. And I would say for a lot of long running series, they do kind of do that. Like, we've talked about Supernatural before. 
Supernatural was one of my favorite for the first like five, six seasons. I think afterwards it gets kind of mitigated. Nothing too supernatural, but nothing when you're fresh. Yeah, yeah. When you're, when you're getting to that point, like I, I feel like you really have to have a long game for that. And I mean, we even saw that with Game of Thrones, like Game of Thrones was really great up until you get to like the final season. And it was kind of like, because of the fact that George R.R. Martin had not, you know, come out with, they had kind of gone off book at that point, it kind of just got mitigated. So I do feel like um, you get that when you get like long running series, um, which is why I'm appreciative for like limited series and stuff like that, because right. I could see why right. that's a very like pointed vision and why that's good going forward. So we did talk. Well, it's actually it's between an extended novel and a shorter novel. Yeah. How much backstory, how much padding, how much filler is going to be acceptable to your audience, whether they're reading or watching? Yeah, most definitely. So we obviously we're talking about horror writers, a horror giant in the film. Uh, the field that we're talking about is Stephen King. So what is your favorite, the best, in your opinion, screen adaptation of Stephen King? Oh, there's so many. I'm a huge fan of Stand By Me. I'm a huge fan of the Shawshank Redemption. If you want to talk about true horror, it's going to have to be Pet Cemetery um, because as a parent, grandparent, being connected to that on an emotional level, and once again, we'll bring it back, horror is about invoking emotion, positive, negative, horrific, how whatever you want to define it is. For me, it would be Pet Cemetery. There's, he's got such a range as an author. Um, I haven't yet, and it's probably because of the length of the book. I also am a big fan of The Stand, but I don't feel it's been done proper justice. And there's another one that gets overlooked, and it's Hearts in Atlantis. And I Anthony love Hearts in Atlantis. Actually, the roles in that and the way that was filmed is very endearing to me also. But for true horror, it's got to be Pet Cemetery because come on, you know what I mean? Um, it's just scary as hell. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge, so one of my top comfort films and it's a Stephen King one, is Christine. That is like my top tier, like something about Christine, like John Carpenter and Stephen King together, I think is just perfect. Right. Um, and I know that they're actually rebooting that because I know we're kind of in a Stephen King renaissance right now where they're push, pushing a lot out, which I think is great because there are certain ones that Stephen King did, like it's where even, you know, Tim Curry came out and he said he was excited to see the remake because of the fact that they picked a perfect person to do the it character. Oh yeah, with, Bill Skarsgård was unbe uh, yeah. unbelievable in the role. Yeah, that whole family is unbelievable in their roles. Yeah, and and um, the Peter's not Peter. Um, I am going to get skewered because of that. But the other Skarsgård brother actually was in the stand, um, right. the new one, and which was actually really good too. Um, but like a well, lot that was of Alex wasn't it Alex? Yeah, it was Alex. Yeah, yeah. He, played, he played the vampire Eric on True on Blood. True Blood, yeah. Which is where we all first started lusting for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now you know, he was just fabulous in that role. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's great as Randall in this. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Randall Flagg is a horrific. Oh, he's he's 
He's such a dark, imposing presence. He he embodies the weight of evil for me. When you're when you're reading this stand and you first read about Randall Flagg, you know he's just a bad guy and nothing good is going to come of it. Yes. And to me, once again the genius of the author, that he's able to craft these characters that not only do we connect to and relate to, we're afraid of these jerks. Even if we're just reading about them, they're scaring the hell out of us. Yeah, most yeah. yeah, most definitely. My other favorite, I actually have a cushion of it from Creepy Co., but um, it's Creep Show. I mean, I think the fact that Romero and Stephen King did Creep Show, and there's a lot of really mm-hmm. cool stuff behind the scenes, like um, John, uh, Mr. Hill, who is Stephen King's son, um, who writes his own stuff now. Joe Hill, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Joe Hill. Um, he he was the little boy in creep show and there's a lot of like behind the stuff with like tom atkins where he talks about like stephen king just kind of absolutely coming undone at the thought of like tom atkins actually might end up hitting his son and because like in the in creep show um he's kind of tom atkins is uh the creep the creep the dad that's the the jerk and so, um, but I think that that's great. And like, you get a lot of really good people in it, like Tom Savini coming up with Fluffy for the film. So I absolutely love He's it. He's such a cool character actor. Tom Savini is amazing. His effects too are just otherworldly. Like some of the things that he's accomplished and brought to this, like he is a dream guest for our podcast. Like one day. <laughs> you should ask him. You should yeah. ask him. You'd be surprised who says yes. Yeah, no, it definitely like we have, like we just, I don't know if you watched, but um, the movie Terrifier with Art uh-huh. the Clown, we just had David Howard Thornton on who plays Art the Clown and he is an amazing, wonderful, humble human being. And I, couldn't, fun? Yeah, um, and yeah. I couldn't say anything more about like great about him because he's just, he's wonderful. He's humble. He is very much about the horror community. So I think that that's great. And yeah, the horror community in general, I think is really good. Like you, you do get a few bad apples in here, there, but for the most part, we're all just like this big connected family. And I think everyone's just, and there's a lot of highly intelligent people that they have a built-in ability to connect to other people. Yeah. I, there's just a, there's just something very unique about the people I've met, the people I've come in contact with, the folks that have helped mentor me, the people I've learned from. It's a very generous community in a lot of ways. Yeah, it definitely is. So, um, I think it's great. And, you know, like even he talks about it, like he, he had a really good mentor and I'm blanking on the guy's name, but he, the guy that he kind of like learned a lot from and he took a lot for the art, the clown character was a guy that played on lazy town. And unfortunately he passed away from cancer, but um, he was like a trained professional mime. And he talked about the fact that like he took a lot of arts mannerisms and kind of from his mentor so I think it's really um, great that you kind of get those behind the scene things plus he is also on the spectrum and I think that that's great that a lot of people are coming out about it because like he just found out a year ago that 
he was on the spectrum and he was talking about how it just kind of clicked for him and it made sense. Um, and I appreciate that as a mom with a child on the spectrum, because mm -hmm. the, the fact that there are so many great people coming out of the woodwork that do have a disability. Well, makes it's me... an example of possibility. And yes. that's, that's always the best. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And it's definitely great to have that kind of role model because look at all the things that he's done and accomplished. And like our executive producer on the podcast, David McGee, he um, is part of the vanilla milkshakes and he's done a lot too. And it's just a great example of what you can do with the power that you have. So I'm very exactly. appreciative. Yeah, I'm and very appreciative. About horror is if you don't have that power, you can create that power. You can yes. write that power. You can manifest that power. Um, you can you can do anything you want. Your characters can do anything you want, both beneficial and both nefarious. If you don't have it, or maybe it's a cause, or maybe it's propelling them to be evil or to be horrific or to invoke a creature or some cosmic entity or some demon because they feel they're lacking. But that's the creativity and that's what's so wonderful about it. And I think that's why I call people high creatives in that they're a little more sensitive. Yes. They, they get things at a deeper level than maybe just those of us who are passing each other on the street or in polite social settings, they feel deeper for yeah. whatever their reasons are. It's not a disability, it's just the way they're wired. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are now starting to admit and starting to encourage the fact that you're different. To, to be able to write, to be able to be a creative um, person in this genre, you're a little bit different. You walk to a little bit different beat and that's okay. And it's great. And other people can embrace that. So yeah. I think you're absolutely right where you can, you can take these things and see them as a possibility, but then you can make them your way and you can have them become and actually turn into anything you design them to be. It's not a disability. It may be a superpower or it may be something you plan to take over the world with. Um, what is that movie? Oh, that the Wolverine, the you know, the all those what are those characters? X-Men. X-Men, yes. I mean, the head guy. I mean, he was all messed up, but he found a way to try to control. Yeah, Pro <laughs> Professor Xavier, yeah. Yeah, yeah most definitely. Um, and that's what I'm saying. you're taking these things that make you different or your character different. And, but that's either, it can be, and ultimately in horror, there's not a lot of gray area. It's good and it's not so good or good yeah. and absolutely awful or immediate threat or perceived threat. Um, these people, these characters, that's how they, that's how they're formed. You know, there's always the question, Cassandra, are monsters made or are they born? Yes. And I think we all have different opinions on that based on, the subject or the person or what we're reading or what we're watching. But ultimately it comes down to the human condition, whether it's personal or whether it's the world around us and how it reacts to us because we are different. So yes, most that's, definitely. That's yeah. So what is your favorite horror subgenre? So when we're talking about this, like my favorite horror subgenre is slashers. Um, so we're talking about like different. I wouldn't have guessed it at first. 
for you, but that's interesting. My yeah. favorite subgenre would have to be uh, hauntings, be it houses, be it generational, be it implied, be it actually a person or an entity or a creature, something otherworldly that haunts a character or haunts a setting or haunts the way people act. I'm big on superstition, which is why I'm so big on folk horror or backyard horror. Um, those stories that were told around the campfire, you know, the genre is the oldest genre. Those stories that were passed verbally by wandering tribes and groups of people as they migrated and immigrated. And we've all got somebody in our family that told stories based on, you know, you've got the every every culture everybody's got something that they were brought up maybe as a cautionary tale but maybe as part of their heritage that was scary that haunted people that if you don't do this this is going to get you that if you open that closet door there's something there so you better go to sleep so for me it's hauntings for me it's 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 that unseen terror. yeah i understand that and yeah I think it does surprise people that I do. I'm a big fan of slasher films, but I think a lot of slasher films, they're, some of them are rooted in reality. So like one of my favorites is The oh, Stepfather yeah. and it is based on a true horrific crime where a man murdered his whole family and just walked away. And the, the film creator um, thought what would happen after that? And what was eerie is he was kind of right because the guy got caught almost 20, 30 years later and he had done almost exactly what the guy had thought, which is he picked up, he went and got a whole nother family and this guy went on and lived his life. And then one day he was on America's Most Wanted and they were I... talking about his murder of his family and the, his neighbors were like, hey, we think this is our neighbor. And sure enough, it was. But it was kind Why? of the same karma, yeah. absolute karma. <laughs> yeah, but like the filmmaker, you know, he he made that story where it was like this guy went off, he killed his whole entire family, he goes and moves on and gets another family, and the stepdaughter is like, I don't think this guy is right, and she kind of backpedals a little bit, but then realizes there's something really crazy going on with them. So, <laughs> to me that is horrifying and oh, yeah. a lot of like slashers are based on real people like ed gein um jeffrey dahmer you know they were right. the basis for a lot of people like leatherface the basis for him was ed gein i'm, so, I'm a fan of patrick bateman and american psycho yes i mean and, talk about a lovable, lovable slasher you know yeah what I mean? he's very slasher as it were <laughs> yeah he's very like you know, that was a very big narrative on power and men in power and how this man can kind of just get away with it. Get away and, with it because they're charismatic. Because yeah. they aren't they they are they aren't the face they're showing you. There are yeah. there are faces behind the face. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. The monster within as it were. Yes. Speaking of monsters, so vampires or werewolves? Oh, I've got to go with vampires all day long. I, I, I've got to go with I've got to go with the vamps. And once again, I think it's because of that 
forbidden seduction, the physicality of it, the the mental connection, the glamouring, as they call it, the absolute pulling in of a human being by an entity that wants to not only consume them physically, but wants to consume their their soul and their being. And yeah, I think werewolves are cool and they're cute and all that. And I, I love words, but I gotta go with the vampire. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big I'm a big vampire um, advocate. Like I. I talk about this. We did an episode on vampires, but I literally walked around high school with a vampire encyclopedia. I thought it was oh, yeah. the coolest thing in the world. Um, Lost Boys was a big one. Um, I had a huge, huge crush on Gerard Butler, and I blame that on Dracula oh, 2000. Wow, of course. Because I think we all crush on Gerard. <laughs> yeah, because he was like that and the Phantom. Yes, which me was a cousin of the vampire. Yes, yeah, most definitely. So it was very like him in that movie was so underrated because like Wes Craven, he had this powerful um, quality to him where he could find the pulse of like somebody before they were about to hit stardom. You see that with him with Johnny Depp. You see that with him, like with Nev Campbell. And then with Gerard Butler, Gerard Butler did this before he popped off with 300 and, um, yeah. And the Phantom of the Opera. So, um, I absolutely adore it. I remember people in high school were like, Oh, you know, uh, Ashton Kutcher, this, or, um, Orlando Bloom, this. And I was like, I love him. And like, I, I were just like, I, like Colin Farrell in the remake of Fright Night. Yes. Actually like better than the original because Colin's got it going on. I mean, that dark- That's a little bit of a blast for me to my ears, but I understand what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. Dark next door neighbor that you just don't know, but you want to find out because he's so attractive. Yes. Yeah. The original um, Chris Sarandon that did the original Fright Night, he, he's flawless too. Like, and he's exactly. had such a history with horror, like between him being right. a lot of people don't realize. I mean, they realize that now that they've done more stuff with A Nightmare Before Christmas, they don't realize that he was the voice of Jack Skellington. He right. also was the detective in Child's Play and then Fright Night. Like Fright Night is flawless in it that is. aspect. I love it all. I'll take all inclinations of it. I love it. Yes, absolutely. So as a horror writer, we were talking about this. Obviously, mm-hmm. you have to create a setting. You have to create a world. What is your favorite setting for a horror movie? The everyday, the average. What happens in your world, be it your street, be it your backyard, be it your home. I'm, I'm not as big a fan on the big threat, the bigger picture. Like I love War of the Worlds, but it's 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 not it's not implausible anymore. Nothing is. But to me, the true horror is what you are not seeing because you're focused on something else. You're living your day-to-day life. And like we were just talking about Fright Night, you know, to go back to the homage to Hitchcock, rear window and all those where there's just something going on and you're, it's right next to you and you're not seeing it. So for me, it's everyday, simple horror, pare it down to the basics. What, 
what is that spider in the corner of the room capable of? Or what is that plant that your grandmother gave you that she picked up? My grandma, you know, we've all, we, oh gosh, my mother-in-law, God rest her soul, she passed away last fall in her late 90s. She was big on taking cuttings of plants. We would be at a funeral in a small rural cemetery. My mother-in-law would be going around cutting off plants because it was something she wanted to propagate. To me, that was horrific. I was like, Doris, no, don't do that. You don't know what that plant. You had me, you had me with spiders. Like the spiders are a no-go for me. Like that's the one. There's so many of them here in South Texas. We just flick them now, you know, it's, it's, they're everywhere. My family. That's the horror setting right there is what's next to you that you're not seeing or that you're missing because you're not giving it any credibility. And sometimes I know that we feel, and I, I, I think this myself, if I don't validate it, that it's not real. Well, it doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean it's not going to come for you. So to me, it's, it's the homegrown. It's the every right around the corner. See, I'm a more Gothic horror person, like that dark house that's, you know, down the street, like the Scooby-Doo uh-huh. kind of aspect of it, like that <laughs> abandoned yeah. house down the street that's yeah. making the noises or like speaking of Dracula, like that, you know, the, the Romanian woods, the castle vibes, you know, right. Sleepy Hollow, um, Salem, like that whole vibe to me is something that my soul just speaks to. Are you a fan of the witch, which to me is gothic in the extreme. I absolutely adore. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there, I, I love, so I'm not completely finished the, um, the series, but I loved the series Salem. And I know uh-huh. that they, they have the set in Louisiana. They just abandoned the set. And the set is all in intact down somewhere in like a bog in Louisiana. And um, that to me is just awesome. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just <laughs> I just want. And one thing that I have not seen in horror films that I would like to see more of um, that I get intrigued by. I watch videos about it all the time. I don't understand why, because I would personally not do it. But like urban exploring, especially with abandoned theme parks, living so close to a theme park. I feel like that's just horrific. Like something, the fact that something like so positive left abandoned, there's just something that lends itself so creepy to it. And I think that that's something. There's a heartbeat to those structures. Yes. And and it's, it's, it's a, it it could, I could see where that could be really exciting in terms of a threat. Yeah. I think the classic carnival trope is always, always in style. But I like your take on it, the urban aspect. Yeah. About what happened, what was left behind. That's, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. I feel like that's probably because I live in Ohio and like we've had, we have a lot of different theme parks um, right. between Kings and Island. And there was a lot of at one time. Yeah. There was a, it was a lot of manufacturing and all that's gone. Yeah. Like we had Geauga Lake and I remember going to Geauga Lake and Geauga Lake for a while until they completely demolished it was like a huge urban exploring area and like I've watched some of the videos where they've gone in and they've explored from that and that to me was just frightening in a certain aspect like that was like I remember being on some of those rides like I remember being in certain places so it was just eerie to me that something that was so indicative of my child. It was yeah. basically dead. Yeah. And, and 
they were they were resurrecting it in some way or they were trying to it was like a physical like a like a physical seance like they're trying to yeah. feel what might have been there before yeah and it's it is terrifying I love it I love it <laughs> yeah yeah I definitely and like I I really hope that they start exploring that area more mm-hmm. um filmmakers if you're listening call me I got some ideas um <laughs> but what is a author in the horror community that we should know about Oh, there's so many of them. I'm so connected to so many. I'm going to give you somebody from Hello who hit me right between the eyes and hasn't stopped. Daniel Volpe. Oh, wow. And I don't know if you're familiar with Daniel's work. No, I'm not. His first book was a novella by the name of Billy Silver. And I am not an extreme horror girl. I will write it. I will go there a little bit. It's not my favorite. But Daniel Volpe has done nothing but continue to impress me. Every story is longer. He builds incredible worlds. His characters are gut-wrenching and visceral. There's redemption. There's... Everything you want from horror in Daniel Volpe's stories, his most recent one, and his star is also rising. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be proud someday to say I knew him when, because his, his most recent novella was a story called Left to You. And do yourself a favor. I mean, everything about this story is unexpected it's basically a story of friendship like so many, but it takes place during, um, during the area of Nazi Germany and everything that goes along with it. But there is absolutely nothing that offends. There's nothing that can be mistook the wrong way. There's no cultural appropriation. Everything Daniel Volpe writes, I wanna read again. So absolutely, Daniel's my guy for my current favorite horror writer. And he doesn't write anything. I have published with Daniel in a few things, but he doesn't write anything like I do, which I think is another reason why I'm so in awe of him. Um, His characters, he's got um, one character. It was the sequel to Billy Silver called Talia. And Talia is a young woman who by circumstance was forced into the porn industry as a young young woman. Well, guess what? Talia decides to turn the tables. And Talia, basically, it's a classic homage to selling your soul to the devil in for power. And you want to read Talia. You're like me. You're a powerful, strong woman with strong connections to other strong women. Do yourself a favor and read Read, read Daniel's Talia and then get back to me. He is writing a sequel, which I'm really excited about it. I will definitely check that out. Exploded. Yeah, she's yeah. just exploded. So Daniel's my current favorite. Well, check him out, guys. I mean, yeah. I, I know I pro- I'm probably as soon as we end this, I'm going to like definitely Absolutely. take a look. And get back to me and we'll talk about Talia. <laughs> yeah. So um, two big characters in the horror world. And one of them actually reminds me of you. Um, Elvira or Vampira? Ooh. Vampira was something special. 
but I think especially since Cassandra's bio came out not too long ago mm-hmm. and reading her absolute immersion, her ability to overcome her her final her her ability to finally live her life on her terms i am a huge fan i mean the reason i said that is because you do you remind me of like the horror you're so adorable someone Uh, else it's the hair uh, well i don't think it's the hair either i think it's the you know obviously that's like a you know coincidence but to me it's the energy um but i obviously Uh, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it, but honestly, um, yeah, I love her. Elvira is one of my favorite. I have a bunch and of Elvira. we all grew up with her. We all knew right? who they were. And all of our dads and brothers lusted for her. But what I love about her, and if you read her biography, she put on the persona for, for, for the reason of making money and, and entertainment and everything else. But it was also to draw people in, to get people to listen to her. And you know, as a woman, it's not always easy to get no. people to listen to you. So sometimes I have said this and I say it to my husband, we do what's necessary to get somebody to listen to us. And she yeah. got their attention. And once you get their attention via her character, people started listening to her. And she had a fascinating, she's had, I mean, she's still very active and alive. She's had a fascinating life and she makes no excuses for her life. And I absolutely love her biography. I mean, I, she's probably one of the few people that I would absolutely love to sit down with for three hours and do nothing but this, talk, yeah. tell me, what was it like? Tell me about the people. And not all of it's a pretty story because none of that ever is. But I love the fact that at this point and at this stage in life, she's pretty much just like, it's my time now and this is what I am. And I mean, she had a huge expose on her book and I won't give it away for those who don't know it, but life is on her terms now. And how lucky for any woman to get to that point in her life where she says, this is who I am. I'm not this creature in the costume. This is who I am. And I hope you'll still love me for it. Yeah. what perfect validation for all strong females. Yeah, absolutely. And I've always adored her because obviously Elvira is Cassandra Peterson. I am Cassandra. And uh-huh. um, I was named. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I was named after a soap opera star, which is kind of hilarious. Um, my mom didn't know that I was going to be a girl until like eight months in. And my dad was already overseas in Desert Storm. And mm-hmm. so when I was born, my mom was kind of like, okay, well, what are we going to name her? So, um, Such she, a strong name. yeah, so she, she was watching Young and the Restless. That was my great grandmother's soap opera. And the character of Cassandra came on and she was like, oh yeah, I'm going to pick that name. So I'm Cassandra Lee, um, Lee after my grandmother. But, um, I always related to that. And especially as being a woman in horror, like, with her being Cassandra Peterson and then being Elvira, I know that a lot of times, like we have to have a separate persona besides our personal life, being a woman in horror. Right. Um, So I definitely can relate to that. But I mean, especially the things that she's done for the horror community, like drawing attention to certain movies and stuff like that. Like, I just think she's such a powerhouse and she's such an example. Like I said, she pulled people in and made them listen to her based yes. on her physicality. 
And once they were in, they started listening. And you're absolutely right. She paved the way and kicked down a lot of walls for a lot of us. Yeah, most definitely. So last question is, what is your go-to horror movie recommendation? Oh, that's a tough one. Go, well, it, because there's you've got your classics and then you've got your new, your nouveau, as I call them. Yeah. Go to let the right one in the original version. Yes. Let the right one in. Once again, I can't get away from the vampires, but if you want to talk about, once again, all my favorite things that we've touched on, my details, the horror next door, but turning it on its head and using a child as the monster, let the right one. And I don't even mind the American version of it, but the original version, the international Swiss version. Oh my gosh. The first time I watched it and the compassion between her and Oscar, Ellie and Oscar, the relationship between these outcast children, the bullying, um, and don't, don't make no mistake, she's a monster, but let the right one in, um, you can feel the cold. You yes. can feel the atmosphere in that film. You can feel the heartbreak. You can feel the adults that are trying, but they know that what they're dealing with is bigger than them. Um, let the right one in. I tell everybody they need to watch that. I don't care what version. Yeah, let the right one in is a great one. Um, my go-to has been Killer Clowns for years. Like I cannot <laughs> say Killer Clowns enough. Um, another good one is Thirty Days a Night. I feel like that is a huge oh, movie that is slept oh, on. Want to talk about non-sparkly vampires? Yes. These are the monsters we want. These. Yeah, they these, go. They, I love, and it's another one. <laughs> It's another movie. You can feel the cold. You can, the snow is crunching under your feet, just watching it. It's, it's so immersive. And then the ending is poetry. I mean, yeah. everything about that. Josh Hartnett should have been a bigger star. He chose not to be. And I've read about him because he's been in some other things that I've, I've been interested in his role. Yes, Penny Dreadful. He chose it. not to be a bigger star. Yeah, Penny Dreadful is another one that he... Ah! the horror like if you if you are a horror fan and you have it watch Penny girl crush, absolute girl crush i will watch anything that woman is in yeah absolute anything rory kinnear and i haven't seen the new one that's out called men men yes and rory apparently plays several parts in that rory was the quote-unquote monster the newer yes. version of frankenstein and penny dreadful and i'm hearing big things about rory kinnear's role in this new movie men yeah i helped yeah yeah he's really popping off because of the, and for good reason all of the people that were in that were just flawless but oh. 30, 30 days a night is just one of those prime examples that was like the first rated r horror movie that i had actually bought a ticket to i went with friends and like some of my friends were just horrified by it but my new favorite and i don't know why people don't talk about it more it's a christmas horror i'm a huge fan into holiday horror especially christmas horror i think that that's just a cool justification but um i talked with david howard thornton about this but rare exports if you have not seen it it is a it is a wonderful movie i, I think it's on shutter 
Um, you can also, from time to time, I know like digitally, like you could buy it pretty cheaply. Um, but it is a great movie. It is kind of like Krampus in the aspect. It is, it is, um, I think it's like Swedish or Finnish. I, I have to think about what that is. I'm sorry if it's I offended anybody. Uh, yeah. Yeah, found it. It's an, it's an international film and it's about this little boy who lives in this small town and strange things are happening kids are going missing and he finds this character and it's about him and his dad and like this crazy thing and it is just an entrancing movie so i cannot I'm say watch week. i'm gonna find it and watch it yeah it's on seen. it's on shutter let me know what okay. you think about it it is yeah it's great like i have a local um movie uh shop like we, we could say pawn shop I guess but it's not really like that it's like a whole like we it's the exchange and a couple of the guys there like I'm there a lot of times because obviously you could see in the background right here like this is only a part yes, of my collection yes. yeah this is only part like it's all over this room um but I remember like the guy I was talking to him about it and it was like we both had it on the brain at the same time and he was like yeah I had not seen it and then it came on shutter and I watched it and I heard other people talking about it and he's like now I cannot not watch it every year like that's just going to be my new thing with oh, watching be a great thank you for that I'll look forward to that yeah so definitely check it out so um but that was nine questions with Cassandra um I hope it wasn't too daunting for you Oh, no, absolutely fabulous. I love it. There could be a hundred. I could do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so going back to your writing, obviously we talked about your novella, the new patient, the, the new girl's patient. Sorry. I can't talk today. Um, but oh, yep. There we go. Yep. Um, I have the Kindle version. That's what I was reading it on. So if anybody hasn't read it, go find it on uh, Amazon. It's on Kindle and you can order the physical copy of it. It's definitely worth the read. But what inspires you? It's also you? on Godless platform. Um, oh. The publisher, DNT Publishing, who is female owned, by the way, and it's fabulous up and coming publisher that's putting out some incredible people. Um, they also put their, their, their versions, the, the, the non-physical versions on the Godless platform as well. I will definitely have to check that out now. I didn't yeah. know that they were female. That is so cool. Like yes. shout out to them. John and Tim, John Shea. Yes. Um, She's so, doing a lot for the community. That's awesome. Like I, mm -hmm. I'm so glad to hear that because that's definitely something that is needed. So you as a horror author, what inspires you to write? Well, very honestly, um, it had to do initially with always wanting to and never having the time and then deciding that if not now, when? And also because I am isolated, I basically live on a cattle ranch in the middle of nowhere. Um, I found that I needed a way, once again, we've talked about horror and the genre being cathartic. I needed a way to express myself and communicate with people. And I was never one to just casually conversation and get on social media and all that. It's just not my style. My circle is very small and trusted. But when I first started writing, I found people that were like me and I found people that got me. Um, so I would say the first thing that started me actually putting down my stories, and I've always written, but to put down stories that I thought other people would want to read 
was isolation. And the fact that I'm from the Northeast originally, and I've, I've been a city girl and I've lived very urban. And then when I married my husband, all of a sudden I was thrown into this very rural, rustic, superstitious, clannish kind of ranching community where oh, it's just very, very different. And it weighed heavy on me for a long time. And, and honestly, my writing has helped me work through some of that because now I understand that it's okay if you're different and it's yes. okay if people don't like you and they don't have to accept you because there's such power in the written word. Um, and my husband, like I've told you, he's not a big fan of horror. He's a big fan of mine. He thinks it's remarkable and incredible. And the bins of books that I've got sitting in the other room He's like, damn, I can't believe, you know, you get this book is yours. You're doing these books. And he's my biggest supporter. Um, but I will say the catalyst for me to actually start writing was isolation and loneliness and how to cope with that and deal with it and turn my time that I was wishing I was someplace else into my own place with my own people and the characters and my stories. That's amazing. Like, I, I definitely understand that. And I definitely understand how supportive it is. Cause like we had a conversation off right. camera, like I wouldn't be able, Brittany and I both would not be able to do this without her husband, Mike, right. or my fiance, Jim, like we right. just, the support is there. Cause like a lot of people, you know, they will second guess you. So if you have somebody at home that really believes in what you're doing, it motivates you to just be hungrier and to want to do it more. Well, and you don't, don't feel as though you're taking away anything from your relationship or your marriage or your family or anything. It's just part of who you are. Yes. And I, at first, Cassandra, I did want that acceptance and validation. Mm -hmm. And now two and a half years and over 20 times being published, it's just a given. It's who I am. It's out there. I think anytime we put pieces of ourselves out publicly, we set ourselves up to be ridiculed, to be shunned, to be rejected. Yes. And yeah, as an author, I've got a folder full of rejections just like everybody else, but there's also that acceptance. And sometimes it comes from where you least expect it. And that I think is what keeps us all to keep going. Yeah, most definitely. I definitely can relate to that, especially being a woman in horror. Mm -hmm. Like we've definitely experienced that even with our podcast. You know, we, when we first started, we only thought maybe three, four people were going to listen to it. And now right. having right. an active viewership of maybe 30 people and at our highest, like 54. Um, and still we do get a lot of buzz with different like just authentically putting a piece of yourself out there. Like Brittany and I talk about it all the time. Like it takes courage. It takes strength. It does. And you know, if it doesn't, sometimes we can get discouraged, like, because things aren't oh, moving yeah. maybe as fast as like we want it, or like, we feel like we're getting let down, but or at the end of the day, your best efforts. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Especially that. And so, but like for us, this is authentically what we want to do and just us having fun together and kind of just immersing ourselves in the world. That's it's what we're missing. It's, it's a bonding. It's a human, yes. it's a human connection. And I think right now we're all hungry for that. And if I lose you again, it's because the power on my system is, is dwindling down. Oh, um, you're fine. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. So um, what do you want people to know about the horror book world? That it's generous. 
and it's gracious and it's full of brilliant, kind people that encourage your imagination and encourage you to try. And I think once again, in so many stories, whether you want to talk about it, stand by me, whatever, there's a lot of emphasis on young people overcoming. And I love that the YA young adult market is becoming so popular and that publishers are seeking out more people to write in this. Um, the horror book community is exceptional. There are a lot of academics. It's interesting, Cassandra, because I just came back from Denver and StokerCon. I was one of the few people I wasn't hanging with that was in the PhD. And I mean, everybody is intelligent and they teach college courses. And I've got a really good friend, David Sims, who's both a college and a high school um, professor of English and creative writing. Another friend, Eric Hansen. Um, these, these people are making a difference. And I think in our current time with this demographic, so many of them are damaged. So many of them are afraid. They've just gone through two very challenging years, like all of us, more than two years, actually. Um, and these people in the community are encouraging them to write. They're encouraging people to read. And I think that as long as younger people, older people, people with disabilities, people with anything going on, read and write, I think as a society that's going to keep propelling us forward. And I don't care if you read or write horror or anything else, but, you know, people make fun of Harry Potter, people make fun of Twilight. That got young people reading again. And to me, that is what the horror community, horror books, whatever, it's a powerful motivator. And I, I think that's so important right now when there's so many that are unmotivated, whether you read it, whether you write it, whether you buy it, whether you go to author cons, no matter what you do, just get out and embrace it. Understand that your imagination is limitless. And people, people will say to me, if you have one thing to say to other females who want to write in the genre, my two words are be fearless. Don't be afraid of writing it. Don't be afraid of putting it out there. I'm not a fan of censorship. I respect what it in, involves, but be yourself. Don't be afraid. Be fearless. Tell your story. Be authentic. Be true. Tell the story you want to tell. And if there's an element in there that's something fresh or new or that gets a strong emotional response of us based on a horror aspect, all the more power to you. So be fearless. That's so motivated. That is great advice. I, I just chef's kiss on that. That like that's perfect. Um, I'm glad that you brought up StokerCon because I want to talk about that because I had never heard of that until you had talked oh. to me about it. I was it, well. It hasn't happened for three years, and basically, it's a meeting of people. And it, the Horror Writers Association is a very vener venerated organization has been around for 30 years um uh, you know some of the biggest names in the industry have been involved as 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 board members or past presidents or you know authority figures in it um basically it's learning exchanging i spent five days in panels and classes and in conversation and then you have the awards the stoker awards are basically the Academy Award, for lack of a better reference, 
of the genre. And they are awarded yearly to the best in a lot of different categories. Um, I found personally, the more noted, the more awarded the author, the easier they were to talk to and the friendlier and the more receptive and lovely. I was in awe. I walked around with my jaw dropping. Um, Jennifer McMahon, who's an incredible author, her book, The Winter People, is, is a New York Times bestseller. She's very noted in the genre. I was trying to find a class one day and this tall, attractive, gray-haired woman came over with a map and she says, you look lost. She says, let's figure this out. And we talked about what I had for breakfast and this and that. I didn't know who she was. She's one of my, oh my God, in awe authors. I mean, there were so many moments like that where you'd walk by somebody or Stephen Graham Jones, who everybody knows Stephen, Stephen in the contemporary horror world. My heart is a chainsaw, only the good Indians. I mean, he just won another Stoker this, this, past, this past session. Um, he's tall and attractive and charismatic and warm and takes pictures with everybody and chats about just casual things. And most of these people are a lot of these people are also educators in one form or the other or another. And they're very quick to mentor. They're very quick to share. Um, it's a remarkable coming together of like-minded people from all aspects, all walks, all colors, all backgrounds. That is amazing. I'm so mm -hmm. glad that I know about that now. Um, Next and it's and you have to go it's in okay. Pittsburgh it's not that far from you they just announced the dates for next year and they actually moved it to early June because so many of the people are educators a lot of people were attending during the day and trying to grade final papers at night so they actually moved it to June next year in Pittsburgh so that everybody doesn't have the pressure I will definitely I will definitely have to go do that because I'll send you, I'll send you the link I'll send over the link to you yeah it's I definitely you're gonna love it. <laughs> I, I definitely do because like we this summer we do have a lot of horror authors coming on, especially your friend Chiso. He is coming on. And um I just think that that's gonna be great. So yeah, I would definitely be interested in it. And it's and so it's cool. not just authors, it's filmmakers. There's a final of fame, there's a there's a film festival on Friday night. Oh my gosh. I mean, you're sitting there, you're seeing these incredible films and it is podcasters, it's media people, it's producers, it's anybody who is connected to the brilliant world that dark speculative is. Um, so there would definitely be a tribe and a place for you at every table. Yeah, I definitely. So you were at the Stanley Hotel for this though. Yes, I, I went up the night before the actual Stoker Con started and there was a charitable event put together by James Sabata and it was at the Stanley and it was called a night of spirited giving and they did a wonderful program and they had a meet and greet and then there were readings from Stephen Graham Jones, Gobino Inglesias and I don't want to murder his name because he's incredible. He's He's got a book coming out this fall and I believe it's actually got movie rights attached to it already um, and all I'm going to say about Gabino's book is when he was doing his reading, he pulled out a pair of three foot bolt cutters and proceeded to read the connection in the book to this audience of about 300 people. And all I can say is I'm living for the rest of the story. Um, just incredible people. Laura Hightower, who is this absolutely bubbly, darling blonde girl who just put out a, a terrific book called Below, which is the Mothman. It goes back to that 
historical superstition folklore and then another acquaintance and i'm big on michael nost because he put out a book last year that got a stoker this session called the writer's work of bookshop two also wrote the mothman prophecy which is being filmed for i believe netflix as we speak so these are the people that were at these events all of the proceeds of a night, a night of spirit of giving went to the local volunteer fire department because the Stanley Hotel almost burned a couple of years ago in the wildfires. Yes. So they had lives there. Everything about the whole event was about giving back. The Stanley Hotel is a spectacular, majestic, creepy as hell structure on the top of a mountain in Estes Park. And I will only say that I was not comfortable within its walls one minute. Um, there is something about it. And I think that because most of us that write in the genre, a lot of us are very empathic and we're open, we're receptive to ideas, to senses, yes. to possibility, as it were. I was not comfortable one minute in that hotel. They're very much. See, I can relate to that because I have family in Colorado and I've been past the Stanley and I could tell you I went past it. Nope. A whole bunch of. Nope. I have a friend who said they went on a family vacation. She couldn't make it in from the parking lot. And the creepiest thing, Cassandra, is I was on the eighth floor and they're doing some big renovations and the hallways, there was a lot of the old original furniture and they were pulling down some of the old, uh, what do you call it, insulation and things. It was even creepier. I did not sleep a wink. And what they'll tell you is if you do have a feeling off, it's, often it's in a mirror and there was a mirror on the back of the closet door of the room that I was in. And I'll tell you what, I couldn't, I couldn't walk past that room. I mean, it just, I hate to say it, but there really is something there. And I don't know, it's because we connected to the story of The Shining, but there absolutely is an atmosphere there that it's strong yeah. and it's it, they very much they're they're lovely the people that are work there are lovely the food is fantastic the grounds are spectacular but my husband's like well do you want to go up in the fall and spend maybe a long weekend i'm not sure i do i would yeah. go visit again but i don't know as if i want to spend yeah you might want to skip that yeah, yeah you, I, I, i'm i'm not i'm not going to get the stanley anymore of me you know what yeah. i mean the, it kind of gets under your skin, especially when you're riding in this antique brass elevator. And it almost feels like it it wants you. It, it's pulling you in. I've been to other old hotels. I've traveled extensively. I've gotten that feeling before. But damn, the Stanley lives up to its rep for me. It really does. And a lot of people felt the same way. Yeah, most definitely. So um, obviously we're going to wrap this up, but what are your plans for the future? Oh gosh, you're so lovely to ask. Thank you. Um, immediately, I'm finishing a story today, as a matter of fact, for a dirty anthology DMT is putting out with all female writers for a scholarship. So I'm giving back a little bit in terms of a charitable anthology. I'm not doing open calls as they're called this year, random submitting, because I did so much of that last year. I'm focusing on longer solo work and private work this year. 
I'm involved in a thrilling collaboration with a brilliant author friend in Scotland. Her name is Natasha Sinclair, and we've published together several times and forged a very strong bond. We're writing something that we hope to put out this fall, and the title is Delavan House. And I was asked by an agent at StokerCon to clarify the story in one line, and it's Wicker Man Meets Practical Magic with an ocean between. And it's going to involve two strong female characters and their connections on both sides um, in the United States and in Scotland. So that's my summer project with Natasha. Um, I'm six hours ahead of her. So our Zoom calls and communication are random and weird hours of the night. And I am loving the collaborative process. Um, and I have another solo novel that I hope to have out early next year that I won't give you too much, but it goes back to a very classic horror novel and I'm putting an entirely new spin on it. Um, we talk about underrepresentation in the genre and I'm here to tell you that middle-aged females are very underrepresented in the genre in terms of heroic characters, both plus and negative. And I am going to send you some of my older work that are this included in an anthology. In your spare time, you can you can thumb through it. And I have a character in one of those stories that I want to write more about her story. She's a daughter of a crime family, but she's also a surgeon. So I've got something working there. And then I'm going to spill the beans a little bit on this between you and I. Um, and it has not been announced by the publisher yet, but I am contracted for a full-length novel sequel to The New Girl's Patient. Um, we will be seeing more and we will be reading more of my final character, my final girl, Jamie, in a full-length novel version about Cree's Crossing, this small, brutal world, world that she is raised in, a very rural community. Um, I'm going to get into the backstory. I'm going to get into how basically the new girl's patient is a story of survival in many ways, um, both hers and her predecessor who influences the outcome, Ms. Elizabeth, her patient. Yes. We're going to get into the past. We're going to get into the community. We're going to get into how the how what happens to Jamie affects her going forward. And I won't say that Dr. Sleep to me is as brilliant as The Shining, but we see the horrific effects Danny, both the horrific effects and how Danny's life going forward was very much altered by what he was exposed to. And there will be a lot of that going on with Jamie. I have it, I have it loosely mapped out at this point. So looking at a release for that sometime next year. And pretty much that's gonna fill me up until next yeah, year. Yeah, you're gonna I, be a you're Wonder Woman, by the way, I with all that going on. Are, but but this is this is this is my hobby that has also become a huge part of my life. Right. Mostly because of the people that are so generous to me and that publish me and read my stories and mentor me and say, Ruth, don't give up. And Ruth, that's not good enough. Make it better. Um, yeah, it, it's I'm very, very, very fortunate. Um, and I also like the fact that I'm finally at a point where I can start to give back in, in terms of charity anthologies. Um, and I believe all the proceeds from this one that I'm finishing up today for submission, this story it's all going to a woman of horror scholarship fund. So it's that's amazing. 
start encouraging other females. Um, I'm very fortunate in my life that I'm in an economic position where I have the time and the wherewithal to do this. But I understand that there are a lot of people in general, not just females, that don't have that. So I'm very big at this point on trying to do something for them as well. And the HWA, the Horrors Writers Association, is also very big on that. So um, that's the next year of my life, Cassandra. I think that's great. And thank you so much for talking about sending that to me. I appreciate it. I am always reading stuff for this podcast and just stuff in general. I'm trying to keep clicked in with everything and really trying to get the word out there for people because I do think horror books are more slept on than the other general media, which is horrifying to me because some of the greatest stories came from horror books. Exactly. Um, but thank you so much for coming. We're in the great renaissance of horror, as they're calling it. Yes. It's it's floating as we speak from everything on television to our books, to our personalities. And this has just been wonderful. This has been one of my favorite interviews and I hope we get a chance to chat again down the line. Um, yeah, most definitely. Y'all are doing great things. Thanks. Yeah, most definitely. We would definitely love to have you back on when you, uh, finish your solo novel. And Mm -hmm. so we can talk about that because like I said, I reread it twice, your novella and I am super. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I am going to send you a signed copy. I'm going to send you a care package. Oh, thank thank you. again I loved every minute of it thanks I'm so appreciative well thank you so much for coming on and this is me Cassandra from the Horrorcraft podcast signing off and I hope you all go read all these fantastic authors and get immersed into a different world this summer because lord knows we need it after the couple years that we've had so stay spooky and we'll see you in the next one bye (laughs) 